Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Round the Corner Technology. And today I've got an interview about 3D printing uh, from Rob Bador, General Manager of the America's um, Division of Proto Labs. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. So um, can you give listeners just an overview of what Proto Labs does in the 3D printing world? Yeah, <clears throat> sure. So <clears throat> Proto Labs is a really innovative company. We are a contract manufacturer. Um, we specialize in uh, digital manufacturing, um, meaning that we start with a 3D CAD file, and then we are able to manufacture uh, that product or that part design in a variety of different manufacturing processes very rapidly. So we actually offer um, seven different manufacturing processes today, uh, three of which are uh, 3D printing, but we also offer a variety of injection molding and CNC machining uh, technologies for for manufacturing parts and ultimately products for companies. All right, so within the 3D printing world, um, do you help uh, engineers design 3D, you know, objects to be 3D printed, or do you just do the fulfillment and the printing? So we um, we focus on the on the manufacturing, um, but we will help them with uh, design for manufacturability. So um, we don't design the initial part, but we will um, give them advice and uh, guidance to help them with um, how the parts are designed to ensure that they um, are manufacturable and have the best performance possible when manufactured. Okay, so um, like a consulting role, you could say, right? Yeah, that's right. Do you, do you guys have software that, uh, or I guess knowledge and expertise, if someone designs an object to be 3D printed and you can see that it may not be able to function properly or render properly, do you guys use software and, and knowledge of your engineers, or what do you do to help people diagnose uh, whether their part's going to work well or not or work as intended before it gets made? Yeah, good question. So we do have a great deal of software. It's not all automated. We also have um, you know, human manufacturing experts in each of the different manufacturing processes that, that will look at the parts uh, for final approval. Uh, but a lot of software is used to simulate the build um, of the part and help design kind of the orientation of the part in the build chamber or some of the other uh, constraints, right? So we might give them advice on uh, the material selection, uh, the build orientation, and even the, um, the process that's chosen. So, for example, we make parts, uh, we 3D print uh, plastic uh, through um, services of uh, stereolithography and selective laser sintering. And um, okay. while we might be able to make, you know, the same part in both, uh, the features and characteristics, the material strengths, the, um, the you know, how well the fine details and tolerances are, are come out, 
will vary in the different processes, right? So we might consult with them uh, to give them guidance about which process to choose, which material to choose, and um, how to orient uh, the part uh, for uh, for the build. All right. So you, from my knowledge, there's seven main types of um, 3D printing technologies. And so how many do you guys do? And if you could just restate the types of technologies you do and what kinds of things could be made from those technologies. Yeah, sure. Um, so we offer three different pr 3D printing technologies. Two of them I just mentioned now in the plastics. Selective laser sintering, uh, which works on um, primarily different families of nylon and is really good for uh, structural parts. Um, and then we also do stereolithography um, where we offer um, a broader range of, um, of materials, uh, including you know, transparent materials um, and materials with a, a, a broad range of properties. Those can be used for both cosmetic and for structural um, kinds of parts. Um, okay. We also offer um, a, a custom material that we co-developed uh, in a process called microfine uh, in the stereolithography, which uh, can make very, very, very small detailed features. Um, and then uh, our third 3D printing process is a metals process, uh, DMLS, um, uh, which is um, a powder-based process, kind of like uh, selective laser sintering or SLS, um, but it works in, in metals. So we can we can make uh, parts out of you know steel, stainless steel, titanium, aluminum, um, and other metals uh, uh, through through that process, and that's used for a lot of end-use parts as well, primarily end-use parts, um, including uh, often very complex parts that would otherwise be assemblies of multiple machined or cast parts. Uh, together in a in a single unified component. Any um, you know what is what, well? What's some of the most interesting things that you've seen printed using one or more of your technologies? Oh man, um, you know we we work across pretty much all industries, so we've made some um, some pretty incredible things. You know, uh, parts that go into into aircrafts, um, aircraft engines. Um, parts that go into rockets, parts that are used in medical devices, um, a wide variety of those, surgical instruments. Um, we've made uh, consumer um, products uh, and, you know, kind of housings for electronics. Um, so, uh, it, yeah, it's a huge gamut, huge gamut. It's pretty cool. Yeah, what, what, what's the main uh, products that Protolabs makes? You know, what are your main product lines, and who are the who do the customers tend to be? Yeah, so um, our our product lines are really our manufacturing services. So the three three mm -hmm. um, D printing ones that I described to you, as well as uh, we offer rapid injection molding, so we can make um, molded parts, injection molded parts, in as little as one day across hundreds of different engineering grade thermoplastics. We offer uh, molded liquid silicone rubber parts. Um, 
And then we also machine five-axis machine and turn parts in metal and in plastic as well. Um, so those are kind of our seven different uh, service or product offerings. Um, and I, th I think your question is a little bit around, you know, the industries that we play in as well. Is that right? Yeah, that too. Yep. Okay. So we um, uh, we we really play in most of the large, um, you know, manufacturing industries. So uh, medical device is big for us. Automotive, aerospace, um, industrial equipment like heavy equipment, um, right. electronics and consumer products, uh, those are all um, big sectors for us. And, and we have, last year we served something like 10,000 different uh, companies. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, because um, our model is um, uh, highly online, um, you know, direct, direct fulfillment model. So uh, right. customer just uploads their uh, CAD designs or their, their product, you know, kind of assembly uh, to our website, and then we are able to um, manufacture the parts and, and ship them directly to them. The, the other thing is right. we have a pretty innovative kind of online uh, quoting um, and simulation capability online, so uh, we're able to generate kind of a 3D rendering of their finished part to highlight any, um, any issues that they might have or provide them with feedback around the design for manufacturability. And we do that all, um, you know, within minutes or hours of, uh, of them sending us the CAD file. That's amazing. Okay. So what, um, what do you see as possible right now in the industry and what do you see as still out of reach, you know, for the next couple of years? And I'm asking you because you're an insider on it and the public, I'm sure, has a very different perception of, 3D printing and what's possible. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and uh, you know, it's it's a really exciting time right now in the marketplace for for manufacturing as a whole, um, and for 3D printing, I think in particular, right? So I talked about uh, a little bit about digital manufacturing uh, earlier, and mm -hmm. uh, I think that's really creating um, a lot of capability and opportunity in the market because basically what we're seeing is the opportunity to um, take a lot of, just create more flexibility, take a lot of time and cost out of um, tooling up, right? And and that in turn allows us to, you know, reduce the amount of investment necessary to produce a new product. Right, and so okay. you know, there's these trends around um, personalization um, and um, and you know, Internet of Things, uh, where you know there's a lot of need to iterate and you know develop new new products quickly, and and many of these products you know don't you know they're not going to sit in the marketplace. I mean, IoT kinds of devices don't stay; the product doesn't stay in the market for 10 years. Right, because the hmm. electronics change and the software gets upgraded, and and then the product itself, you know, has to cycle. And so, these trends require uh, a more adaptive, flexible manufacturing capabilities in order to, um, you know, innovate. Uh, and it also means that 
you, you know, companies want to put, want to try new products in the market with uh, with lower investment, right? To to test yeah. them, to fail fast, to gain that insight, and to innovate with new products. And so, uh, there's a lot that's going on in manufacturing right now, particularly in 3D printing, to help support that. Um, but the the economic drivers are there. Uh, to help drive it as well. So I think it's a really exciting time to be in manufacturing, um, and we're seeing a lot of innovation in the space. So that's that's what I'm excited about. I think right. the technologies are evolving a lot right now, and so you know, from our perspective, we don't you know we don't make any of the 3D printing machines. We are okay. a manufacturer that uses the machines to provide parts to our customers. And so in that sense, What do you guys use? Do you guys use like Stratasys or what uh, What kind of machines do you guys use? <coughs> well, currently in the three offerings that I described to you, uh, we we use uh, 3D Systems and Concept Laser are the companies that supply the machines for us. Um, mm-hmm. But we've uh, announced, uh, you know, that we're a, a partner for HP with their new uh, 3D printing multi-jet fusion technology. Nice. And, yeah, and I'm excited to say that we uh, received our, our our first printer from them already. Um, so we're one of the early uh, partners in that program. So we're excited about that. Right. Um, it's not commercial yet for us, uh, but um, that'll be coming uh, this year as well. Uh, and I expect you'll see... Um, you know, one or two more uh, 3D technologies from us, you know, over the next uh, several months or years as, you know, as, as we um, continually explore that space and, and adopt uh, new technologies to, you know, to better serve our customers with the needs that they have. Gotcha. Okay. What are, what are some things that are 3D printed that uh, maybe the public would be surprised to know are 3D printed that you know of? Okay, let's see. So, um, well, more and more things in airplanes are getting uh, 3D printed. Um, so I don't know how much the public, you know, is aware of that, but um, certainly in, in, especially in the, you know, complex um, components in, in jets or uh, some of the, you know, the air airway management. Um, a lot of medical devices get 3D printed, surgical devices and uh, uh, implants. Uh, yeah, I've heard uh, hearing aids are now uh, predominantly being 3D printed. I've seen dentures. One guy told me that they're starting to be 3D printed. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Um, so is hip sockets. That's a great example of um, customization, right, and personalization. What's more personalized than you know, the shape of a body part, and yeah. that's an excellent application for 3D printing, um, because before that, you know, they were done, you know, by really kind of old technologies around um, certain kinds of casting, you know, one-off castings, um, which then needed to be uh, finished and, uh, you know, polished and secondarily machined and other things, and so that's um, a really good application for for those kinds of things. Um, the, other, um, the other thing is uh, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of parts that you don't see that get 3D printed are, are things like um, fixtures that that 
are part of a manufacturing assembly line or a, you know manufacturing plant um, because they're they're low volume one-offs, um, but they help in the manufacture of higher volume products. Oh, like what, what's an example? <clears throat> so, um, you mean they help because they're a prototype, or they help because they become a part of a machine that makes other that's parts and exactly. So, like for example, the things that grip um, the products as they uh, are being manufactured, right? Like it holds uh, the weight okay. of the product while um, you know somebody does something to it, um, which is custom with every you know every new part. Um, those kinds of things. Okay, gotcha. What about um, volume? It seems like 3D printers would just make one-offs of things. Is the industry trying to move towards a, um, a customized mass manufacturing approach? You know, they, you want something 3D printed, but you want uh, 50,000 of them, and that's considered like maybe a one-time run. Like, how would you address that need, and is it being looked at? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of interest there. Um, there certainly is. I, I would say that today the costs for 3D printing are still such that, you know, at volumes of 50,000, you're generally much better off finding a different manufacturing process, like, say, injection molding if it's in plastics, uh, to be able to do that economically. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a lot of work being done today to, uh, you know, to lower the costs of uh, 3D printing at, at scale and to try and, right. you know, make that um, more amenable to higher quantities. Uh, today, generally, what I would say is that there are, you know, so those cases like the ones that you illustrated where uh, each part is different because like in the example of the hearing aid, it needs to be customized per person, uh, mm -hmm. or in cases you know, like we're seeing in some of the aerospace applications where uh, the one 3D printed part is replacing an assembly of a dozen other parts, let's say machine parts in that example. Um, in those cases, there are strong economic rationale uh, for using 3D printing to manufacture them. But I would say that for probably the bulk of products in the world where you know every every product is essentially identical and you know because yeah, we're coming from obviously the era of mass production uh, in those uh, in those settings for those products you know we have decades of, of work that has been put into um, tuning uh, injection molding and other kinds of manufacturing processes to be extremely efficient at um, economies of scale. And 3D printing just has different advantages. It's much more efficient at, you know, at the lower uh, quantities. And, um, and so I think we're away away from replacing one with the other. And furthermore, I don't think there's any need to replace one with the other. Uh, because if you look back in history of manufacturing, I would say that manufacturing processes have only propagated. In other words, 
we've only added to them, right? Um, right. Okay. You know, I'm I'm sitting at a desk that's made of wood. You know, the like the, that 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 process is still alive and well, even though people have been working wood for thousands of years, right? Um, mm. So we keep adding to the manufacturing landscape because every manufacturing process has its advantages and disadvantages and works is best suited, you know, for a certain set of um, set of outcomes and material properties and, and uh, tolerances and so forth and, and economics. And so right. I, I think, I think that 3d printing is absolutely moving into production and we make a, you know, a significant number of production parts in 3D printing every month. Um, but I, I don't think that framing it as having to replace other manufacturing processes that have been designed and suited for high volume, I just don't think that's necessary. I think there's still a very active and, and valuable place for 3D printing um, without that, without having to do that. And, okay. and I think I just think it's the wrong it's the wrong framework, right? Mm. So what's um what do you wish was possible right now that's not and you know but that you think may be possible in the next few years? You know what's what's close but no cigar yet that you think would be like really be a big step forward for three D printing? So I think one of the things is uh, expansion of the ecosystem. And there's definitely work that's being done there by many of the software companies and CAD uh, CAD software companies, for example. But the um, the how you define uh, the the parts in software, um, especially for you know the kinds of uh, kinds of parts that um, that are now able to be manufactured in 3D printing, where you know, there's technologies for doing uh, multiple different uh, materials in one, you know, in one in one build or in one finished part uh, through 3D printing. Uh, but it's very difficult to actually um, actually like encode that. <coughs> so, in other words, if I have a CAD file uh, for a part um, today, uh, for the most part, that CAD file doesn't have a way of communicating that this part of that, you know, this portion of the part, we want to be made out of a soft material and colored green, and this other portion of the part, we want to be made out of a firmer material and colored black, right? Um, okay. And, and partly that's a legacy thing because historically, if the manufacturing process I would use to create that part I'm going to create it all out of one uniform material. So, for example, if I'm going to machine that part, I'm going to get a block of material that's going to be uniform, and I'm going to cut away the excess, and I'm going to be left with the part. And that part is therefore going to have a solid color and a single material. So I didn't have to, in the CAD file, allow for a description of you know anything more detailed than that. Does that make sense? Right. Okay. Yeah. But with 3D printing, especially some of the newer technologies, you are in fact able to make, um, you know, make make parts that are, you know, that that have a, a, a 
a variety of different material properties and colors right within the part. Uh, and mm. so the software for defining that um, is still catching up to kind of what we can, what the what the machines are capable of. Uh, right. So I think that's that's one area. I think another area is, you know, we talk about the concept of a digital thread, which means being able to track and define all the manufacturing uh, activities and requirements uh, and specifications all electronically. Uh, we use many aspects of that in how we do manufacturing, where we start with a you know digital file, a CAD file, and then through our yeah. manufacturing facility, you know we can trace everything from the quoting all the way through to uh, the, the part as it's as it's built and values added on the manufacturing floor through shipping, et cetera. Um, but again, this is an ecosystem uh, comment around, you know, how do we how do we translate that information and use it to communicate with our customers and our suppliers um, so that, you know, there's, um, that's really ubiquitous? Because I think when, when, when that exists, it's going to add a lot of value to the whole supply chain. It's going to take time and cost out, uh, and it's going to make things a lot more efficient and um, just further fuel innovation and speed uh, for product development. Okay. Very good. Um, do you see a day where there will be um, stores that have maybe um, – you know, a few products, but on site they can like manufacture more of their own products. You know, a, a bookstore that can print books right there. Um, you know, another kind of general store that can print up uh, various bunch of items that can be just purchased right there and made right there. Yeah, you know, I think that's still a little bit in the in the future category. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that. I don't know that anybody's identified kind of what would be the killer app for that. Like where would it be right. significantly cheaper or logistically simpler to um, distribute the raw materials um, versus distribute the finished products? Um, because, you know, to do that thing, what you just said, you're going to have to have the, you know, the, the, the plastic coil or powder for all the various different materials or metal, you know, in right. in the location, um, and I, so, but it will allow you to make that kind of customized thing locally. Um, so I don't know what the killer app for that is yet. Um, I'm sure that there will there will be some, you know, maybe only niche applications, maybe some more broad spread where that will be true. Um, I don't think the technology is at the place yet where. Uh, that's going to make a lot of sense, and and here's why. So, with the technology, you know, the, you talked earlier about how consumers view 3D printing versus mm. some of the realities. I think the consumer right, right. mindset is kind of like you know, you push a button and a part comes out, and it's all clean yeah. and simple. Um, yep. The reality is that behind the scenes, um, it's it's no, it's not that simple. Um, you know, stereolithography, for example, requires, you know, this is like a photopolymer and a vat. It requires chemical treatment after 
it's processed, and uh, a bunch of manual finishing and additional steps, uh, photo curing, and so forth. So okay. after it comes out of the machine, you know, there's a sequence of two or three other processes and laboratories that the parts travel through in order to really produce, you know, good quality parts, which right. if you don't do, um, you don't end up with good parts or sometimes, you know, usable parts at all. Um, and so that's pretty key. Um, DMLS, for example, after the, you know, the parts is made in metal on a, on a build platform, you know, it comes out of there. Um, it, first of all, it cools, then it comes out, then you have to heat treat it. Uh, then you have to um, remove it from the plate and it's, you know, it's got support structures that keep it on the plate. So if the part is stainless steel, the support structures are stainless steel. So you have to machine away stainless steel to get to the part. Then you have to finish the part, you know, to, wow. to meet the needs that you have. So uh, there's the point is you need a lot of other excess equipment and know-how and capability. And, and all of those things vary depending upon the type of part you're making. And very often... So a lot of... Um so a lot of 3D printing truly is rapid prototyping, but it needs a lot of post-production finishing, is what you're saying. Yeah, uh, that's true for a lot of the processes, yes. Okay. Uh, and, so, and, hmm. and the, other, the other reality is that um, most of the time, especially for kind of production-ready uh, processes, um, you know, the, the, they, each process has a set of materials or a material family that it works for. And um, they don't all do every type of material. So, you know, to, to really make an end-use product that has got some metal in it, a couple different kinds of plastic and so forth, uh, you may very well need multiple machines of different types and then multiple of the post-processing setups. And so it's just today, generally speaking, not practical to make a whole product out of 3D printing, right. you know, at, you know, in, in a bookstore or in a Kinko's or in some kind of retail model like, you know, you, you described in that scenario. Okay. Very good. Um, yeah, any, uh, I guess, you know, last question is, um, you know, for people that are interested in working with Proto Labs, what kind of company or applications are you best at, and how do they reach you and, um, you know, start a dialogue with the company to see if they can help them? Yeah. Um, well, uh, we are a really good fit for companies that have, um, have products where, um, you know, they have any kind of volatility of demand, so like, uh, they're launching a new product or they have an existing um, product, but, you know, it's one that's hard to forecast uh, or it's low to mid volume. Uh, those are places where uh, we are often, um, often the cheapest, pretty much always the fastest and most flexible to accommodate. Mm -hmm. and, and the best way to, to reach us is uh, go to our website, protolabs.com, uh, or to call us. Uh, and you know we, um, we 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 have an online quoting system, so you know no no cost nice. or risk. You upload uh, your parts within a few minutes or a few hours, you'll have a quote back, 
that tells you how much it'll cost and um, give you input on the design for manufacturability, some of that consultative uh, component that we talked about earlier. Right. Um, and, you know, we offer standard lead times that are as little as one day, so we can um, we can get parts oh, wow. very quickly. Um, and we also are basically lowest cost of entry for for low volume. So, you know, we make a single. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Right? Are are customers surprised at how expensive or how cheap or how affordable it is? Like, what you know, what's their monetary expectation versus what you can deliver? Yeah, I think um, I think that's an area where we um, often will um, really please our customers because um, because of the automation that we've put in place. You know, we can make quantity one of a machine part for sixty dollars, or a three D printed part for under fifty dollars uh, for the first part, and then of course, you know, the per part cost gets much cheaper with with volume, but. It, usually, it's that first one uh, that that is uh, pretty expensive and takes a long time to get, you know, someone to quote and and be interested in in doing for you. Uh, we also <clears throat> make injection molds, as I talked about, and our injection molds start at fifteen hundred dollars, which is you know a factor of ten cheaper than um, what you would see in the overall marketplace. Okay. Well, very good. Rob, I appreciate uh, your time. You said you were feeling a little bit under the weather, but you still uh, spoke well and, you know, no problems. So I, I appreciate doing the interview, and um, I think listeners will get some good info out of this. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.